Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Multiple sclerosis, or MS, is an autoimmune disease affecting the central nervous system that's typically diagnosed when someone is between the ages of 20 and 40. An estimated 400,000 Americans have been diagnosed with MS, but while those people are united by their diagnosis, the effects of MS can vary significantly from person to person. That can make diagnosis alone difficult, and it can make treatment and management of the disease's symptoms even harder. In this episode, physical therapist Evan Cohen describes how physical therapy can address the unique needs of people with MS, a condition that rarely affects two people in quite the same way. Here's our discussion with Evan Cohen. Evan, we're talking about multiple sclerosis. Let's start with the basics. What is it? Multiple sclerosis is a, it's a bit hard to define for its symptoms, but the disease itself is of the central nervous system, so it affects the brain and or the spinal cord. And in general, what it does is it disrupts the lines of communication within the brain and between the brain and the body. And because of that, it results in potentially a slew of different problems for the person who has MS. And what might those problems be? This is a big challenge for the person with MS. For so many diseases, the problem has a, a picture. Like you can open a textbook and see what somebody with Parkinson's disease will probably look like, what somebody with, with a stroke will probably look like. But MS, the problem is a crapshoot. You really don't know what you're going to see because any part of the brain or spinal cord's communication can be affected. So people with MS can have uh, one or two symptoms, they can have a whole variety of symptoms. But the most common ones include things like fatigue, weakness, problems with their vision, dizziness, uh, other problems with their balance and walking. But frankly, that's only a few of the more common ones. People also have problems with sensation. They might feel tingling in a, a particular part of their body. They may experience things like vertigo. Unfortunately, the list goes on. And so because there are so many symptoms, that gets back. Is, is this difficult to diagnose? It is. It is. And uh, years ago, it was very difficult to render a diagnosis. But thankfully, the uh, neurology world has gotten much better at giving a diagnosis earlier on. But still, a lot of it depends early on on the clinical picture that somebody is experiencing these problems that they really can't attribute to anything, and so they end up being examined by a neurologist, and a good neurologist should be able to identify that these look like the possible signs and symptoms of multiple sclerosis, and they'll do the appropriate testing to come up with a diagnosis. So what would cause MS then? How would someone get it, and does it affect one demographic more than another? Well, it's not contagious, and beyond that, the consensus is a vague one. Basically, the way that I describe it to my students is it's some kind of environmental or infectious influence that triggers this response in people who are genetically susceptible. 
that was a confusing little statement. It means that there's some kind of outside influence, whether it's some aspect of the environment or some kind of an infection. Somebody may get like a, a bacterial or viral infection that precedes a, an attack of MS. But it doesn't necessarily affect everybody. What they found is that people who are more susceptible genetically are the ones who this may trigger a response in. What ends up happening is it's an autoimmune disorder. That's the response where the body ends up attacking its own cells. And that's when we talk about it affecting the communication within the brain and, and the brain and spinal cord. It's the long pathways that are the ones that tend to be most affected by this kind of a disease. And does there seem to be a, a certain demographic or even age group for this? You mentioned, you know, some people uh, essentially are more predisposed than others. Uh, but, but do we know before the fact or that, that somebody might be at risk or is it only after the fact? Women in general are much more likely to have MS than men. The number is estimated around, around four to one that women outnumber men with MS. One thing that's sort of interesting about MS is that there's a, a geographic pattern of prevalence where people generally in the mid to high northern and mid to high southern latitudes tend to have a higher risk than those in more central latitudes. And there is also a, a, a racial component, which I think goes back to genetics, that Caucasians generally have a, a higher risk than other groups, although we do see a fairly high incidence in African Americans. And there are other variants of the disease that aren't MS proper, but that affect other ethnic groups. So earlier you mentioned there are several different pictures for uh, people with MS in terms of what that looks like. There are different types as well. Is that correct? Talk to me about those. That's right. There are a few different kinds of MS, and they're labeled by how the disease progresses. Uh, remember that ultimately multiple sclerosis is degenerative. It's going to most likely worsen over time. And a few of the different kinds, there's the, the kind that gets worse and better. This is the classic kind of MS that I think people think about when they think about multiple sclerosis, where there's an exacerbation, a, a fairly sudden worsening that over the period of hours or days, somebody has a real big change in, in their function. They get suddenly worse. And then things settle down, and, and maybe they are able to get back to the way they were before. Maybe they're not quite able to get back to where they were before. That's sort of the most prevalent kind. But it's also more of a steady, degenerating kind where it progresses regularly over time, um, where people sort of slowly get worse. Over, over months and years. And then there's a hybrid version that combines those two things and, and a few others as well. So regardless of the type, whether their experience, their symptoms fluctuate, whether it gets progressively worse, these individuals, uh, are, are, can they ever be cured at any point? There's no cure for MS right now, although there's certainly a lot of effort going into trying to find a cure. What is the best medical intervention right now includes disease-modifying agents. These are drugs that a person's neurologist would prescribe to slow the progression for somebody who has the, the type that gets worse and, get, and, and then better. It can put more time between those attacks and can make them less severe when they happen. But most of the drugs right now are more effective for treating people with that type, the exacerbating and remitting type, the type that gets worse and then better. And the interventions aren't quite so good 
for people with the progressive types, but they're they're working on that as well. Regardless, the intervention is going to try to find the best combination of disease-modifying agents to help slow the progress of the disease. So a general question sort of building off on that, again, going back to the idea that there are the different pictures of MS, these different experiences, and they could be wildly different based on what somebody's symptoms are, the severity of those symptoms, um, whether they're fluctuating, whether they're getting worse. Uh, when we get to the, the management beyond drugs that people take, right, when we talk about physical therapy and, and other things like that for a person to manage their, their symptoms, how different are those experiences? How unique are they? Very. There's a, a great quote that I, I heard from a, from a person with MS who used to say, if you've met one person with MS, you've met one person with MS. And I think that's true. One of the things I said earlier is that there's a typical clinical picture for so many neurologic problems. I can very clearly picture what the person with a stroke looks like. They're weak on one side of their body. Maybe they have a problem with their speech. There is a, a very well-defined picture of that kind of person, depending on what kind of stroke they have. But for the person with MS, it's not predictable because nearly any part of the brain or spinal cord can be affected. Nearly anything can be affected. So for some people, it means that they have weakness. Maybe their arm or their leg is weak. For some people, they have problems with their sensation. They have, they have tingling in, in their leg or they can't really feel how their foot or ankle is positioned. Other people have visual problems where they can't read well. Their, their visual acuity is poor. Other people are, uh, have problems with their coordination. So it really is a bit all over the place. And that, that is a challenging both for the clinician who needs to look at what this person is like and try to figure out uh, how to best work with them, but also for the person who has MS to try to make sense of all of these disparate problems that don't otherwise fit a nice picture. And so what is the role of the physical therapist for treating a person who has MS? Are, are they basically, you mentioned, for example, if, if a person with MS has arm weakness, are they just basically trying to help them cope with that weakness? Are they trying to give them greater strength in the limb that, that might feel weak? Is it a combination of all these things? And, and might a person's experience with physical therapy, to your point, fluctuate based on sort of what the symptoms of the day happen to be? The general role of the PT, I think there, there are two pieces to how I envision good care for the person with MS. There's what I would call the more traditional PT, where somebody has a problem that they want to get taken care of. So maybe they have some weakness in an arm, and they say, oh, you know what, I, I should go see my physical therapist for this. So at that point, the physical therapist will do the examination and identify the problems. Maybe it is weakness, or maybe it's uh, maybe it's a problem with their sensation, or maybe it's not that the muscle is weak. Maybe maybe the signals aren't getting down well and the person can't move smoothly, something like that. And then in that case, the physical therapy would be the most uh, common kind of physical therapy, working on strengthening and ensuring that flexibility is good and, and working on sort of restoring the normal function there. But I think that what is more complicating is that there may be other things going on that contribute to the problem that even the person with MS is not aware of. They might say, oh, well, my arm is weak, but in fact, there might be some other underlying things that are happening, and a good physical therapist should be able to go in and do that examination and, and identify what those problems are. And uh, I, so I think a common thing that I have seen is 
when I see that person with MS, they come in with a very specific kind of complaint, I end up doing a very broad and detailed exam, and I bring them a list of, well, this is what I found, and they're sometimes surprised by the other stuff that came up in the exam that they just didn't realize. It wasn't, it's not big enough to be a problem for that person. So somebody comes in with a, a specific problem, then the PT is going to be like classic physical therapy. I'm going to examine that problem. I'm going to treat that problem. But because uh, the person with MS may have underlying problems that they don't even know about themselves, that that's going to end up being part of the exam too. The other piece, though, I couldn't feel more strongly about this, that the relationship between a physical therapist and a person with MS is a long-term one. That for again, if if you hurt your shoulder, if you're an athlete and you you know you fall awkwardly and you sprain a shoulder, your your time with the physical therapist is going to be a matter of a few weeks. Then you're going to finish your program and you're going to maybe have a home therapy program that you're going to do by yourself. But the likelihood is that you may never uh, have to go see that therapist again for that problem. But for the person with MS, even if the degeneration is very very slow. Over a period of years, the need for physical therapy is going to wax and wane. That maybe it's the same problem that's coming back. We fixed it now, but now a couple of years from now it's back. It's a little worse. Or maybe there's a new symptom. Now I, I have been stable, but now I've started having this other problem. And so I think the relationship between the physical therapist and the person with MS is really a lifelong one where that person should know that they can come to that PT with new problems that that PT can address and help steer them in the right direction, but also put them on a path of health and wellness and prevention that's going to keep them from getting worse in the future. A good friend of mine shares the, a quote from a neurologist colleague who said, well, I don't refer people for physical therapy until they've started falling down. Well, by then it's too late. By then, there are so many problems that may not be clear to the person, but there are so many problems that may be present that are responsive to therapy. It would be my advice to people that I know personally, and ultimately I tell this to all of my patients, that you should look at in, in really investing in a long-term relationship to make sure that we can both address the short-term problems but also make a lifelong plan to help you keep your function at the best possible level for as long as possible. So that actually sets me up nicely for what my next question was going to be. When there are so many different experiences for for MS, um, what would you tell the, uh, someone who has been diagnosed with MS um, about what they can expect? Is there a way for them to even to to be able to expect anything, or is it just to be able to expect change? I'm a, an advocate for education, and I am a big fan of being as explicit as possible. So when I see somebody, especially somebody who's been newly diagnosed, who doesn't really know a lot about the disease, I'm very happy to share with them what the expectation is, which on one hand may be a little scary to be talking about how things may be five and ten years from now, but I do think that in order for somebody to make a good decision about how they're going to make changes now, they need to be thinking about what's going to be happening down the road. Many of the recommendations that I as a physical therapist would make are really aligned with the kinds of recommendations that any health professional would make about maintaining health. 
participating in regular exercise to make sure that your strength and flexibility stays maintained, that your endurance is maintained. So just like for any person who's participating in a health and wellness program and we're saying you should be getting, you know, 30 to 60 minutes of aerobic exercise three or four days per week, well, it's the same thing I would tell the person with MS, but with a slightly different focus where we would tell that to nearly everybody to help maintain their cardiovascular health. I think the message is you are more highly at risk for developing problems in these areas down the line. And so the more you can do now to make sure that you are in the best possible shape, the better you will be at, at staving these problems off if they come around for you. And then a big part of this is going to have to be, you mentioned what a lifelong uh, experience this is. What do caregivers, family members, what do they need to be prepared for? Just like the person with MS, to be aware that whether the progression is slow or fast, that progression is very likely, that progression is not predictable. So I think the person who's, the, who's a caregiver or a loved one of a person with MS needs to also understand that there's not a predefined pathway about how these changes are going to happen. Instead, they sort of need to, just like I mentioned before about the person with MS, to be observant of when problems happen so that they can try to make sure to address them early the caregiver should be open to hearing what may sound like random complaints, but to really take them seriously and make sure that if they see some kind of change, to be forthright about it and say, hey, you know what, I've noticed that this is different. Maybe it's time to see your neurologist again, to go see that physical therapist again, to make sure to handle those things early. I think if I flip it around the other way, I think one of the common things that I hear from my patients with MS is that a lot of the really disabling problems in the early to middle stage of the disease are, uh, I'm going to use the word, occult, meaning that they are hidden. They are not obvious. When somebody is paralyzed, well, that, that's obvious. They can't move their limb. But one of the most common symptoms is fatigue. And it's terribly disabling fatigue, and it doesn't necessarily respond well to a lot of interventions. There are some medications that can help, even from the physical therapist's perspective. I think we think about treating fatigue with, like, endurance training, but that doesn't always help. And the person can just feel completely wiped out, completely exhausted. And, and I've heard so many of my patients tell me that how many people have told them that, oh, it must all be in your head. And I jokingly say, well, it is in your head because MS is affecting your brain, and that's why you are fatigued. But it's not psychological. It's not psychosomatic. It is a physiological change that causes fatigue. And, and I think that's a difficult thing for a caregiver who's not experiencing it to understand. And so I think if I had a message for the caregiver, I would say fatigue is prevalent. It is disabling. It is something to be taken seriously. So when the person for whom you are caring is telling you that they are fatigued, it is very likely that they are, in fact, fatigued and not just being lazy. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, if I have MS and I'm feeling that fatigue, the, the last thing that's probably going to sound like a great idea to me is physical therapy, right? The word <laughs> physical is right there. And I'm going to be thinking like, wait, yeah. you know, I can barely sort of get through simple tasks how am I going to be able to do that? How is that going to make me feel better, not worse? So how do you motivate 
uh, someone who has MS to to commit to this and and deal with that fatigue toward prevention of other problems, toward progress in, in overall and and movement towards something better. You were spot on about that. In particular, for people who experience a very severe fatigue, that that is troublesome because. I do want to bring them into the clinic and have them do physical activities that they may simply feel too tired to do. So very often, people with MS will have fluctuating fatigue throughout the day. They may wake up and be energetic and feel good in the morning time, but then fade in the afternoon. There are people who it takes them a while to warm up, but once they get going, they're feeling better. So uh, there's a lot of negotiation between coming at a time when you will benefit most from the therapy. And that is, that's particularly difficult for the person who has a lot of fatigue because if they have one or two good hours a day, they may want to use that for other stuff. And, again, that's something that we would have to negotiate. But I think the, the case to make for the physical therapist, for, for me to make to that patient, is it's going to pay off for you. It's going to be an investment that's going to be helpful. And we can do everything from energy conservation techniques, talking about how to manage your day and how to manage your body in the way that's most effective. I may make a recommendation that that person sees their neurologist. There are medications that can help with fatigue. And I would work on the things that help reduce their fatigue most, and those things do pay off. So there's some emerging literature. It's it's really just coming out now that is showing us that people with MS benefit from exercise uh, using a different method than people without MS. And that is because of this fatigue that they experience. And what some colleagues and I have been working on, and, and we've been finding it to be very helpful, and I, I know a number of clinicians who work with people with MS have just started doing this intuitively, and that's to work intermittently, to to do brief bouts of exercise followed by rest. And that's very different, I think, if you think about like a regular exercise program, you're lifting heavy weights, you know, three sets of 10 repetitions, and, you know, that, that that's sort of the classic exercise prescription. But for our patients with MS, they may only get three or four good repetitions before that weak muscle starts to fade. And to push them further is ineffective. It's just going to make them more tired. So by breaking that activity up into smaller bits, what we're finding is by giving them more recovery, people with MS are able to do more. So it might take longer. Maybe that half an hour workout instead takes an hour. But instead of being able to do, you know, only a few repetitions of that exercise, they end up doing many more. When uh, we have people do walking exercise to try to build their endurance and their balance, if we have them just walk and walk and walk, they get worse and worse and worse over the course of the walk. But if we have them walk in short bursts, just two minutes at a time instead of five or six minutes at a time, and then we give them a short break, they can walk much farther going much faster. And so when we look back at just how much work they actually did by breaking it down into smaller pieces, we're getting people at MS to do more. And that's the kind of thing that we think is going to pay off with improving that fatigue, improving their endurance and enabling people to do more. And that actually leads me to, you know, wanting to talk a bit about making sure you see the right physical therapist who can put those things into practice. And so how do you identify a good physical therapist for that? 
it's challenging because there are, I think there are a few PTs that really specialize in rehabilitation for people with multiple sclerosis. I think that there are two avenues. One is to go through the Find a PT and on APTA's website. In particular, if you go to the Find a Specialist page and you can search for neurologic certified specialists in your area, even if that person doesn't specialize particularly in MS, that's somebody who's going to have enough knowledge and experience to be able to work successfully with the person with MS. There's another certification that physical therapists can get, although it's open to many health professionals. There's an organization called the Consortium of Multiple Sclerosis Centers, and they have a specialty certification for multiple sclerosis clinicians, the MS-certified specialist, and that's something you can find on their website too. And that indicates that person has, has had training experience and has successfully passed an examination that they have advanced knowledge in the rehabilitation of people with MS. Those people have the experience. They understand the disease a little bit better. And this is something that I recommend when, when somebody says, oh, you know, there's nobody nearby. I try to forearm them with information about MS so that they can bring it to that PT and say, look, I know that MS causes problems in all of these areas. When you do the examination, are you going to do all of those things? And I know that people with MS, although they respond to exercise, very well, there are considerations that uh, are different than for most other patients, and, you know, how much do you know about that? And make sure that you find somebody who can answer those questions for you. All excellent advice. Evan Cohen, thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. To find a physical therapist near you, go to find a PT at moveforwardpt.com, where you can refine your search criteria to pinpoint PTs who treat neurological conditions. All specialists are marked with a red icon indicating their certification from the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties. Also at MoveForwardPT.com, you can find more information about the benefits of physical therapy for people with multiple sclerosis. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.